Hello everyone, my name is Solvashes and welcome to episode number 25 of In Flight. Wow, 25 episodes, that's crazy. I'm really, really excited to get into the, to today's episode because we have two amazing guests on today. But we'll get into that in a moment because I am really, really excited to share with you guys that today's episode is sponsored by Orbex. Some of you guys know who Orbex are and some of you don't, um, but in case you don't, Orbex are developers of really, really great scenery, airports, and add-ons for all major flight simulation platforms. So that's P3D, X-Plane, and Microsoft Flight Simulator. I've done a few reviews of their Microsoft Flight Simulator products, so I've looked at them, but my main experience comes from the products that they have made for X-Plane, and that includes True Earth and a few other sceneries here and there. And I wanted to touch on True Earth really quickly, because if you're unfamiliar with True Earth, it's a really great product. They have taken ortho imagery and put it into X-Plane, color corrected it, all of that, uh, and made it for different regions. So there's True Earth Washington, there's True Earth uh, NorCal, and True Earth SoCal, which are two really great products. I personally have True Earth SoCal, and I have, uh, I lived in SoCal for quite a while, and they did a fantastic job with it. Now, they might not have wildfires in there. Um, I'm really sorry if you live in California, by the way, and you are experiencing the wildfires, please stay safe and stay healthy. But everything else is extremely accurate, and I really feel like I'm in California whenever I'm in True Earth uh, SoCal. And that means a lot to me as somebody who was born there. So that's just the taste of one of the products that they have. And I'm really excited they are able to sponsor today's episode. And if you would like to look at any other Orbex products, maybe check out True Earth SoCal. Um, I would highly recommend doing it. And you can Check out these products at orbexdirect.com. That's O-R-B-X-D-I-R-E-C-T dot C-O-M. Orbexdirect.com. Really, really great developers, make some great sceneries, some great airports, all of that. And I'm really happy that they are sponsoring today's episode. On today's episode of the podcast, we are finally able to speak to Jorg and Sebastian. Jorg is the lead developer for Microsoft Flight Simulator, and Sebastian is the CEO of Asobo, so two really, really important people in making Microsoft Flight Simulator possible. I had a really great talk with them. It was really nice to catch up with them after Microsoft Flight Simulator had been released because we actually got to hear what their feelings are about how the simulator has done and things that they wish that they can do in the future, things that they want to continue to do, and things that they want to stop doing um, that they have done for the simulator's release. And it was really great to hear all those perspectives, and I was really happy to have them on the show. They're great people, really fun to talk to, really, really smart and on it, and it made for a great conversation. Unfortunately, Norm couldn't join us because uh, we did have a tight schedule, and all of our schedules didn't line up. I was able to make some room in my schedule, but Norm was unfortunately not. So back to the old in-flight days where Sol is the only uh, host uh, for this episode, at least. But Norm will be joining us in future episodes. Don't you worry about that. Regardless, I'm really excited to get into this episode. Had a great conversation with them, as I said. Without further ado, I present to you Jorg and Sebastian. 
Well, let's get started then. So Jorg and Sebastian, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that you guys have a really busy schedule, so I appreciate you guys taking the time. And I'm sorry that you couldn't meet Norm, my co-host. Uh, unfortunately, timing for him didn't work out as much. But thank you so much for joining us. How are you two doing today? How has work been since uh, the release of the simulator? Very busy. <laughs> very busy just doing bug fixes and all of that or just dealing with the craziness of release um a little bit of bug fixing um a lot of uh, reading forum feedback videos comments and starting to address uh, requests and uh, or issues a lot of optimization a lot and a lot of optimization and yeah general rework <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been awesome since launch. I mean, you know, we have we have such great feedback from uh, from the press, from the community. It's been it's been a whirlwind, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then some people had some install issues, so we immediately jumped on those to make sure that everybody has a good time. So it's but it's been it's been super cool. And then I've been spending quite a bit of time with um, third party creators because they are. Mm. They're all eager to get into our in, in sim marketplace, and we're working on that fast and furiously. And then it's like there's so many cool planes coming. Like, I, I keep yeah. telling sales, like, I'm gonna buy this, I'm gonna buy that. <laughs> so it's been it's been awesome. That's awesome. So let let's actually take it back a bit. So we obviously release has gone really great. I'm really happy for you guys. I love the simulator. You guys have done a terrific job. Let's go all the way back and. Let's learn a little bit more about you two. So what is your background? How did Microsoft Flight Simulator land in your lap? And how has the process been of developing it and now releasing it? Uh, background, so I, I'm coming from an engineering background. Um, I mean, way, way back. Um, I used to be, you know, I used to be the only programmer on video games when it was just one programmer. Right in like early 90s, everything was assembly. Uh, there was whatever. When my first my first game, I had a, I think it was PC 512K memory. Uh, so yeah, yeah, uh, 8068, all assembly. So yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so I today I specialize myself on uh, simulation physics world rendering management date like a little bit of everything but i tend to leave stuff out so um yeah but um on on flight simulator more specifically i i worked a lot on the aerodynamics simulation of the planes any any sort of systems or collisions or suspensions and a lot on the on the world um rendering a little bit on clouds a little bit little bit on everything i help out whenever there's something um where people need help and on top of that, service the CEO of a silver. Yeah, <laughs> just on the side, you know, that thing. Evening <laughs> work. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, me, I can speak to it really briefly. I started at the same time, roughly, that Sep did, early 90s, at a company called Origin Systems. Um, but, you know, so I was a designer then, and then I turned into a producer. I worked on something called Crusader, and then I made a game called Freelancer for Microsoft, so it was a space game. And then in 2006 or so, I moved up to Seattle and um, went into publishing, and which is my, my the first games I worked on. I worked with Casey on Mass Effect, and with Remedy on Alan Wake, and then I worked 
on Connect Games. Uh, that's where I actually met Seb about 12 years ago or so now. Uh, we I was looking for great developers who wanted to take on some new challenges. You know, Connect was new and like fascinating. And uh, that's who I met, right? When I visited Bordeaux, super smart, technically savvy, generally very interested people who wanted to explore some new things. And so we made a game together called Connect Rush. It's basically a Pixar movie tie-in game. It's really fun. Uh, I can still play it on Game Pass. Oh yeah. Um, and then um, we spent a few years on that. Then we went over to HoloLens. Again, worked with Seb and his team and others, but like mostly with Seb and team actually. And did a bunch of innovations there. Um, and that's actually probably what is the most straight line to lead us to Flight Sim. Because we worked on something called Hollow Tour. And the idea with Hollow Tour was you basically put your headset on, uh, you know, and you could teleport around the planet. That was the idea. We only did three locations. So we had like Rome and San Francisco. And then we, with Asobo, we worked on Machu Picchu. And that was super interesting because it's a, uh, you know, it's like these rolling hills in, in, in Peru, and it was amazing. And um, and the photorealism of it all, it felt just right, right? I've never been to Peru, so we put the helmet on, looked around, it sounded right, it looked right, and, and, and we the thought then came, what if we would do that on a global scale? And um, and at some point, I basically, that's that I remember in 2015, I called Seb like somewhere, I don't know, in November or something, I said, hey, what about, let's try Flight Sim. And uh, mm -hmm. and then we send them like the Bing Bing Maps, like uh, one of the great services that Microsoft has, basically the entire Earth. And we sent uh, so with the map for Seattle, which I think, if memory serves, it was like 25 gig or something, right? Of like mm -hmm. a what we call photogrammetry city. And then Seb and a few other guys jumped in, got it to work in the engine, put a little Cessna 172 on top of it, and flew around. And it it it, it already that was early 16. It, it already felt good then. Um, but it was the beginning of a pretty long journey because like these these simulators are <laughs> complex as hell, and yeah. uh, and anyways, so here we are. And so that's the origin. That's that's really cool. So coming back from a gaming background and going more into a simulator background. Okay, so I, I I feel you guys with that. So let's see. You came from a gaming background. You went to a flight simulation background. There's obviously a lot of things that are really similar between the two, but as I'm sure you are becoming more and more aware, especially after the simulator has been released, simulation, even though it does require a lot of game development skills, is also very different. So when you were making the simulator, what were some takeaways that you took from the competition that you guys have now that you have that you have made? And what were your goals? Did you guys look at P3D and X-Plane and say, we love that they do this, we hate that they do this, and we want to do that better? Or did you guys go into it with a completely open mindset, like you were creating an entirely new game and competition was just not in your minds at all? I'll give you my angle first, I think. Um, so I think the when you look at, I don't know if you can see me, but when you look behind me, Mm -hmm. There's every box of flight sim ever, right? And it's um, you know, it's been 38 years now. And right. the one thing that's 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 very common, the one thread that's common is Microsoft Flight Simulator always pushed what was possible on a PC at the time of its release. Right. And then it also the last five won like best simulator of the year awards. Mm -hmm. So when we started, we're like, well, if we really want to make like a new entry and you know 
we didn't end up calling it Flight Sim 11, but like the next new entry, we knew we had to do the same. We had to do something that can at least be nominated or something uh, to be best simulator of the year. And that means a lot. And mm -hmm. we needed to take some massive step forward. And and so we had the world, like the stuff I was just talking about, and that was clearly a step forward, but it actually uses the cloud in a different way from maybe other people. Like, a, you know, we're not just doing storage, we're also doing compute and those types of things. It's interesting. Um, but that doesn't end there. That's actually just the beginning. You know, it's a flight simulator. So you need like the air masses and the weather and the, the whole atmospherics need to be redone. And then the flight model has to be rewritten. And, and, and given that we knew that we were going to go truly innovate and to push the genre forward, we didn't, I certainly didn't spend much time. Like we had FSX. That was a great starting point. Right. Um, we didn't look at 3D, honestly. Yeah. Like, I mean, I knew we had licensed it. Honestly, like you know, people had all kinds of theories that what we would do to prepare 3D. I'm like, we never even looked at it. And then yeah. X-Plane, I tried it, but it was, um, you know, I was in the core simmer when we started. I'm probably still not a core simmer, but I'm I'm much more appreciative of sims, and I'm obviously playing a lot, simming a lot. X-Plane mm. was just not, it wasn't for me. It wasn't accessible enough. It was actually what kind of had kept me away probably from simming in a real, as a hobby. Right. So we just, Built on, you know, we, we sent the code base for FSX over to Asobo, and maybe Seb, you take it from there and talk a little bit about that journey. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, I, so my, my such same thing, right? I, I was so I had a background of um, gaming, but um, I I was always focused on simulation. So one one game we did um, uh, twelve years, thirteen years ago was Fuel. So um, I wrote uh, the world engine and the simulation of the cars and trucks and and so physics was really my was my preferred uh, I would say uh, domain in, in 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 games. But I I've I've done some plain physics before for for game modes and stuff like this. But I, I really never never looked at it uh, more than that. And the first thing we did is say okay let's so we looked at a lot of of course at forums and. Basically, the whole history um, at, at the FSX codebase, but also I think we try to take advantage of one thing, which is okay, we're new. Let's also take advantage of that, and we threw ourselves full, full. Uh, I mean, as much as you really can into real world flying, mm. and uh, and we went to the airport. Okay, Aero Club, where can we look at planes? Okay, we, we want to get, we want to become pilots. How do you do that? And we started taking flying lessons, and with a fully open and new new eye. And really looked at everything. How do the planes work? And discussed with all the instructors. Had different instructors, and and try to really get a, a feel of um, what is flying. What get a get a real world um, and real pilot sort of perspective. Um, and also by at the same time, we really looked at the code base of FSX. What was great? What was missing? Um, th there has been many years between FSX and and today. What is the new things we can do? Um, and uh, obviously there was the new tele technologies available like um, and, and big data, the cloud, Azure, machine learning, but also a lot more computing power, much better graphics card. So we, we really looked at what is possible, what is real flying all about. We took we took ton of tons of videos and photos and reference, and uh, and uh, yeah, and we looked at FSX and and I think it's sort of this. I think there was a like the first year was a lot of. Um, uh, trying to find what the community wanted and looking at forums and data, uh, look at what real fl flying really is to understand where are we going, right? W what is we're trying to simulate flight and planes and, and aviation, 
and what is what is real aviation? What is what does the real world look like? So this was sort of the sort of endpoint. Starting point was really ethics and community feedback. Endpoint is the real world, and 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 the the tools we had was technology and and all the new stuff which is available to us. And so I think this is how the plan. And then basically this, there was a lot of design work and okay, where do we start? Because we knew we couldn't do everything, right? We we can't do 100% of real world simulation of everything. So we had to start somewhere. Mm. So yeah. is that is that maybe the one thing I want to add? So is like uh, so when we said like I actually would say before certainly before I ever called Seb, yeah, I spent a whole bunch of time. I actually talked to Dovetail because they were they had the FSX license back in the day. I looked at a bunch. There were a bunch of surveys done, um, both by by Navigraph and by other people. We did some surveys, and we we really had a good idea what people were looking for. Mm. And ultimately, given that it's a digital hobby. Um, we always saw ourselves as the enablers of the hobby. Like it really was, what do what do they want? Like what are they? What's working right now? What's not working so well? What are the dreams they have? And it was pretty clear they wanted. The the core things were pretty straightforward. It was a hey, you know, could we please have something that looks as good as Forza? Actually, games came up a lot. They said, why right. is our hobby not looking as good as some other stuff? What what is what is up with this? Right, and right. Uh, the second thing was, please make something that runs on modern machines and that actually uses multi-threading and actually uses the modern graphic card features. And we're like, well, we can do that. Yeah. But the other thing that really popped was. Um, that I actually wrote it down back in 15, like the number one thing that came up sort of in the subtext was global VFR was a thing. People wanted it forever, right? And, and in order to do that, just look outside the window to orient yourself, you actually had to have the world. So the impetus came from what the community wanted. And we basically did whatever, wherever it took us, honestly. And then it was great for the first three years because then Seb actually traveled through the world to talk to all the plane manufacturers and we learned about weather and met weather scientists and all those types of things. And then, so we got to really good basis by the time we announced last summer, like in, at E3 last year. And then we opened up right to the alpha and it's been just fantastic. Like I can't tell you how awesome it's been to be exposed to you know, tens of thousands of people with like deep, deep insight into so many subject matters, right? They wrote us a ton of feedback and they were so gracious with their time. Yeah. And that, that I think that that time was so important, like that we spend enough time in the alpha to really understand what they want. And, you know, they, they, the stories that they have told us, right? Hey, I was flying with my Baron this weekend and it felt different. And yeah, I'm going to write the feedback. It was, it was great. Like, it's, I, you can't do that, right? As a developer, like, we can't. I mean, Seb is now a pilot, right? At least the 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 theory part, I think, is done, right? I mean, yeah. I we have other we have other people who know how to fly, but nobody knows how to fly thirty planes on yeah. anywhere from like a one fifty two to a to seven eighty seven ten. I mean, there's yeah. no such person, right? So having that engagement just priceless, priceless, and it's unique, right? For my in my twenty five years of making games, I've never had this before, right. and it's awesome. So you you guys were talking about you wanted you had these questions you had where is flying going what is real aviation and how your endpoint was the real world and global vfr and another thing that you pointed out york too is that you were looking at things and you were noticing just how difficult it was to get into this hobby and are you noticing at all that there are people because of how easy you have made microsoft flight simulator there are new people who are entering the hobby and really loving flight simming because of you guys Oh yeah, I mean it's actually probably my greatest delight. 
like honestly like it, you know press and stuff is great and all yeah. but it's when people send me pictures of their houses with the 11 year old daughter in enthralled in this experience exploring the earth holy shit like yeah what what a moment that is because frankly when we started like here's a stat that was a little bit interesting 98 percent of the flight some audience was male yeah and i was like Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, games tend to lean there a little bit, but I've never had ever seen a number like that before. So and then honestly, like what's interesting as we went on our journey, right, and met lots of people online and in person. Um, it's just so fascinating how many people who are uh, fell in love with aviation through Microsoft Flight Simulator. Like and it's, uh, I would say at least 50% of the pilots, probably more. Uh, that are flying around today will tell you that their first love was in in the simulation on their PC, and then at, at whatever age, right? And I think it was always sort of the secret hope that we can do something that's accessible enough and honestly celebrates the beauty of it all. Because there's beauty in flying, and there's beauty in the world that we can inspire like a new generation of aviators and broader, like you know, embrace. Right. Because it's such a great hobby if you really get into it. It's, you know, so that's the hope. That That's my hope anyways. And, and I see some evidence that that's happening. So for, for both of you, you just said inspire a new generation of aviators. And while that's obviously extremely important, the entire world, whether you're speaking about gaming, just technology in general, has never seen Bing maps or just any sort of photogrammetry really brought into a something that you can play and something that you can use you know you see it in google maps and you take it for granted or bing maps or whatever because it's just there and it's it's cool eye candy every once in a while so you're talking about inspiring a new generation of aviators for you two people who have been inside of the gaming community and also the technology community for such a long time do you think that what you guys are doing now is also going to inspire a new generation of games as well Seb, you should go first. <laughs> I've been speaking too much. I mean, about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's definitely um, there's definitely innovations that we use, like for example Azure, which I, I think it is um, Azure and, and using the machine and <clears throat> not just storage, right? Not just having uh, petabytes of data there, but also using compute power of Azure to generate the world. Um, I think I think it's something um, for for I mean streaming. Uh, is an old word in, in gaming technology. It just means you have a, a bigger level on the hard drive or on the DVD than you have in RAM. And when you run around with your character or drive around with your car, we load what is coming later into RAM uh, from a disk or from, from wherever, right? And and streaming from the internet in the past has always been video, right? We stream some movie, we, we, we render some game in the cloud and then stream the video. <clears throat> but here in, in Flight Simulator, we're streaming data. We're streaming the level and the level is the planet. And, and because we have Azure, we can actually store something as big as the planet. And because we have Azure, we can actually process something as big as the planet upfront, right? To actually have that much data actually make sense. Uh, and this is something I, I think is probably gonna, yeah, I, I don't, I haven't seen that in, in, in the industry uh, at all. And I think it may, it may open doors of, of future games where the worlds are gonna be super big and the data is actually gonna be online and not on a DVD or, or not on a hard drive. Um, and uh, I think also the um, what something we try to do is uh, I mean when we went flying 
the 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 first thing that shocked me is is really like, okay okay uh, this is so awesome everybody needs to do this yeah i mean it, it is absolutely crazy awesome and uh, and and not that hard right the very first flight lesson the, the instructor makes it easy for you and, and it feels like almost like anybody could fly and it's awesome so so people really need to get really need to get to, and do this and what we saw is that the planet is awesome but also the whole atmosphere and clouds and lighting and morning and 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 the whole way the world looks because you see it in the airplane you see it from the ground when you take off and then from 100 feet 500 feet 2000 feet you see it from so many different angles which you are not used to right you you're always seeing the world from from the ground otherwise right. and and i think the the fact that we can now um, simulate um, the world rendering at all the different times seamlessly everything i think this is also something which i think we're going to get much more believable worlds uh, in the future and and bigger believable and and it opens many i mean many many doors yeah. i mean i give you my my i think this is a moment and it's and and honestly i don't know Sometimes 2020 hindsight, right? I mean, I, I remember saying, wow, there's so much data, we need to go stream it, <laughs> you know, because it was yeah. like 1.7 million DVDs worth of data. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we need to go stream it. Um, but I think like, so I think what 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 actually, so storage storage and delivery was also always a thing and um, and, and, and Bing and Azure help us a lot. I think the, the fact that we can, that Azure has such great infrastructure that we can get it at low latency because that's yeah. important, right? You need to get to low latency to any endpoint. And I think there's now enough data centers across the planet that we can actually go do that. And that's 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 new. That didn't exist three years ago. It didn't even exist when we started. It was a lot more limited geographically. Uh, so I think that's key. And I think in general, offloading more, like I, I'm starting to think really my mental model is Azure is the biggest computer on the planet. Mm -hmm. Like that's my mental model. And the more we can offload to it, the more, the, the less the less powerful your client needs to be right really and i'm super curious you know i oftentimes people look at the world and they're like oh my god it's so pretty You're like yeah so i think of the world frankly in three different phases and i i've given to you real quick the first one is the static world right it's literally the geometry of the world cool mm -hmm. then we got that from bang and lots of augmentation and smart machine learning and all that stuff looks great then there is the dynamic world, which is the atmospherics, the time of day, you know, things like seasons. That's to me the, the dynamic world, but the world is not a static place. And we've gotten very far, not done, but quite far. And then there is the what I call the living world, which I right. think is another layer. And that's where maybe games come in a little bit more. And I I am Seb always looks at me funny when I say these things, but I'm like, hey, there is no reason in my mind that we can't can't have the AI for a million caribou running in the cloud because it's not that latency dependent, right? You can totally do it. Like, can we render like a million animals? Sure. Can we have them run around intelligently through the hills, like from Canada down or something? Yes, we can. Like, so I think, I think AI is one of those things, you know, I think as we are really now approaching photorealism as an industry, and I think Frankly, once you've approached photorealism, people get, tend to get more creative and start to become more more artistic, right? But we're sort of in the photo photoreal pocket here with FlightSim. I think making the world feel more and more alive with additional things that are frankly out there, it's what the world is, I think we can do more. And I think that will also cross over into other games and other, frankly, a lot of other things beyond games. Right. Something that really stood out to me that you just mentioned there was 
by having all of these, uh, by, by advancing the world of streaming things, you're also making gaming more accessible to other people. So then it's kind of what we were talking about earlier, where you were talking about the 98% male thing. And then you were also talking about how since you've made flight simming so easy, it also brings us in this entirely new audience. But you're also going to be bringing in more people as well, because the more that you stream, even people who have wanted to get into flight sim their entire lives but simply can't afford a rig are now able to get into it as well. That's really awesome. I'm, I'm currently working on a video with the Sobo team that is Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing this, it's called uh, Around the World series, right? So we, yeah. we did two episodes, you know, the, the, the next one's going to be Africa. And, you know, I am, so there's a billion people in Africa. Right. And guess what? They all have, a lot of them have, have phones. Like, not maybe not all the, the, the phones we need and stuff, but that, that's just a matter of time. Right. But I am so excited that we can, we, we'll be able to really entertain the planet, right? It used to be, you know, you needed to have sufficient funds to buy yourself a, you know, pretty good computer or like the latest Xbox and stuff. And I think things like xCloud makes this really accessible beyond. And I, I think that's going to be so great. Like, I think it's going to liberalize um, who we can reach and it's going to also diversify what we can say and who we say it to. Right, absolutely. So we've, we've spoken a lot about the simulator as a whole. And I wanted to focus on something for our interview that I absolutely love about your simulator. So this is coming from a biased person who's probably going to eat up anything that you guys tell me about it. Um, but also something that I've heard a lot of my colleagues and other people in the community say, and that's lighting. You guys have done a really terrific job with lighting, so congratulations. Um, that's something that simulators have really lacked for a while, and you guys have killed it. So um, thank you for that. How? What was the process for getting the lighting engine into the simulator? Because obviously it's something that's dynamic because as you enter certain altitudes, the lighting changes and the atmosphere changes. How did you go about that? And what inspired you to to make that such a I personally, I feel like it's it's a really it's at the forefront of the simulator. The lighting is the first thing you see as, of course, the photogrammetry is in there as well. But what inspired you to make that such something so important? Um, so I think, I think, so lighting, many, there, there's several reasons actually. Um, before yeah. even we came into this, lighting has always been what makes a game shine or ugly. Right. Um, you, you know, you take the same, you can, you can, you can take a perfect 3D scene. If it's badly lit, it doesn't look good. And great lighting can make anything look good. I, I remember the very first time, oh my God, maybe 20 years ago, we had radiosity in our engine. Mm-hmm. And there was just a stupid flat room with a chair and a table. And I thought, oh, this looks almost real. How great does it look, right? It just looks all painted white. There was not even the texture. But great lighting makes everything look great. Um, mm-hmm. But when I took my first flying lessons, I realized how important it actually is. Right. It's, it's. I remember, like, um, very often we go flying in the morning um, because in our area, in the, so we have a very high temperature amplitude. So in the morning, it's like 10 degrees and calm air, n- not a lot of turbulence. If you go flying in the evening, it's it's the they call it the washing machine, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> That's how much turbulence there is because it's 35 degrees and there's you know forest field, and so it goes up and down and up and down. It's it's crazy. Yeah. And so very early in the morning, right when the sun just rises, there's you fly you fly um, you fly west, you can see. You fly east, you fly east, you can't see anything. And I remember um, first navigation to Libourne Airport, and the instructor 
So, you know, that's how they test you, right? You fly and uh, he, he checks if you know where you are. And he says, yeah. you, can see, you can see the runway. And I said, no. I said, you, no, you can't see the runway. And I said, no, I can't. And, mm -hmm. and actually, I did a, I did a mistake. I, I was wearing polarized sunglasses mm -hmm. and I couldn't. The sun, the, the sunway was actually reflecting the, the sun, the, the runway. And, and he could see it. I couldn't see it. So he, he said, Took a, take, a, take off your sunglasses. And then all of a sudden, it was like a sparkling white line uh, on the ground at the horizon. And it was the runway. And, and you realize just how important um, uh, lighting is. And, and the fact that in, in one direction, you can almost see 200 kilometers far away. On the other way, you can maybe see five kilometers because there's just this sun halo, which is lighting up everything. And uh, it, it is, it is. I think it, it is key to make stuff look good, but I think it's also key to flying. And different yeah. moments in the day when you prepare your flight, I always. Uh, so I, I use the software all the time now for every every navigation I do. I always set the time of day and everything because it it can totally change a flight. It can right. totally change the flight when you have the sun behind you on the left on in the front if there's clouds or not and it's it's super important yeah i would say that uh, there was a mo i remember the moment in time where we started sending each other pictures yeah. <laughs> yeah like we were flying around the world like in you know airliners or whatnot right or, or like personal planes but like also in airliners we took photographs from everywhere remember mm -hmm. seven we're like we had all these wing shots and then we yeah. sent we made the same shot in the in the same we said can you tell it apart? It was like, it was so much fun. And because ultimately, um, I think, like we, we we obviously studied airplanes a lot and how they look. So it's all the things that Seb said about the real world flying, totally, totally true and super important. But we also looked at, you know, make the world look right, make the whole thing feel right. And we used photo references all the time. And right. and, and we, we really started to obsess on, does it look, can you tell it apart? Yes or no? Does it match? Yes or no? And it's and and I think lighting is such an integral part of making that work at different times of day because photographs are taken, you know, oftentimes at golden hour or whatnot. So it's um, I think it was both the necessity to get the flying correct and also the desire to make something that really matches the real world as much as we can. So that's why it's a fully integrated light scattering system. It's all it's all physically accurate, right? That we have talked about this before. Like yeah. the rainbows, we're not putting rainbows in; they just appear. Because yeah. it's the actual light refra refraction on the, on the particles. I'm like, yes, yes, that's yeah. and so it was just in the pursuit of making it really and, better and better and better. I think we and got I think, closer and closer. Yeah. This is really something which is enabled by modern GPUs. I mean, uh, you know, getting the exact so everything in the simulator is physically correct. Everything, all the formulas, is all physically based. But some of the calculations require a lot of compute compute power. And and modern GPUs enable this, so there's a whole bunch of tricks to actually get this get this working, right? So you know, I don't, I don't, for example, temporal stuff. I don't know if you heard about this, but a lot of the stuff is is distributed over sometimes 60, 32, 16, 32 frames, mm. and in the end, you get the result because it's just so heavy computation that you can't do it in one frame. Um, and and modern GPUs allow this, and it's great because you, you can now actually re really do all the exact simulation uh, that are required, especially in clouds. C clouds are incredibly incredibly complex to simulate, and and this is enabled because of all the stuff we can do now on, on modern GPUs. But what's great, Sol, is like, and it's for me, it's it's almost the best thing about the product. Like the we are literally just at the beginning. Like we literally right. say, 
launch is the beginning. Like we have conversations because you can go, you know, once you're in an area and it looks good, you, it's so easy to hyper obsess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we, we had this call, we had this shot and like it was somewhere in the Britannia or something or Normandy, Britannia, and there was with Saint-Michel and we looked at the grass waving in the wind and it was Saint-Michel. Yeah. This holy thing was virtual. And what do I, what did I bring up? Hey, so can we get like butterflies and insects in there? And I remember <laughs> the devs are like, "Yorg, are you serious?" Or like, you know, we look at the we look at the sky and it looks great. And I'm like, "Hey, Seb, the Northern Lights, man, the Northern Lights are so beautiful." And da da da. He's yeah. like, "Yes, we're gonna get to it. Just wait. Yeah, it's a bunch of work, but it's I I think we'll obviously push it further and further. Like it's yeah, can't wait. So so are you? You, are you kind of alluding to the fact that you guys will sit down, you'll have meetings, you'll look at things to be like, this is incredible, but we can do this one thing and not a single idea is shut down? Or do you occasionally have ideas and you're like, that we really cannot do that? In my opinion, we actually, and maybe that's a problem, but you know, <laughs> we, we, we never say really no to something. We say it's just a question of when. So, right. so we're trying to prioritize. Like we're actually just just today, there's an email chain going around. Like, what have we seen in the forums? Because we're going to put a new feedback snapshot up uh, tomorrow to capture what the what the what the community really is saying. And we we we're not really. This is not a opinion based thing. We're trying to gather data, and we're just going to say here are the most important things the community wants. And it's like, okay, well, that is defining definitely defining quite a bit of what we're going to be doing. There's always ideas, right? And that and, and and but I, I don't think, Seb, I don't know if you feel that same way that we say, nah, we're never gonna do that. Because we think of it as a hey, there's ten more years to go. It's just a question of when are we gonna tackle this. Yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes when you feel that something is really, really important, um, I think we spend a little bit more time on how, how can we get this done faster? Because I mean, there's always a first estimation say, so, oh my God, this is going to take us five years. Mm -hmm. And then if you if you understand the problem more and what is really the problem, what do people really want? What is really the issue? Sometimes you find ways to get something quicker. Mm. Um, and and so, yeah, it, I mean, stuff is moving a lot and I don't think any door is closed. Um, that, that was that was the thing we had right coming out of E3. The, the two things we heard, you know, was number one and two. And then there's a, a large gap was uh, VR and seasons. Right. And VR, we immediately reacted, right? We, we honestly, we had sort of deprioritized it for a variety of reasons. We actually had it early on, then we just stopped working on it. And then the community, there was so much that we people said, you've got to have VR in this. Right? And we're yeah. like, oh, okay. That's why we want feedback, right? So we, we immediately put a team together and it's, it's almost done and it's amazing. And then Seasons, Seasons is interesting in that it's actually kind of complicated when you do it really well. Because you can get into like what I just said, you can get into all the details. Like, can you do snow accumulation? Sure. Yeah. But then, do you need slow plows on the airports? You know, mm -hmm. do you need people run around in winter clothes? You know, they, mm -hmm. like, to do it right, you need to do it right. And so we Seb did actually. <laughs> he basically did a little Seb magic, and uh, we got that <laughs> we got the snow in basically for for right around Christmas. And then we said, should we do it for Christmas and should we do it for for New Year's? And we did it for New Year's. So we put mm -hmm. a video out called Snow, honestly, January 1st. Yeah. <laughs> Just to acknowledge we heard you. We heard you guys. Like I fully understood seasons are important. And um, but we knew the complexity was going to be significant. So we 
we got the it's kind of to the point that Seb just made. The most important thing when you listen to the stories that people talked about seasons, it was actually mostly about snow. It was people from Norway that said, "Please don't make me fly to Norway in the winter and it's green." Like right. that that you're not even doing my country anymore. So like that's a fair point. So th that is why we push snow first. And then and, and are there other seasonal things that we should be doing or want to be doing? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, snow is a really, really, really big part. So you guys, we've spoken a lot about during this interview about everything that you guys have done. And uh, I imagine that creating a flight simulator, although you, Asobo um, and you, Yorg, have a lot of experience making games just overall, it's a completely new, uh, there, there's a completely new structure to it. So you need to design processes that are different than other processes that you have done before. And one thing that uh, has become really clear to me, and I'm not a developer myself, so I don't know a ton about this, um, but it's the idea that third-party developers um, have, until this point, had a really, really different way of developing things and a really different way of understanding how to interact with flight simulators. Because, as you pointed out earlier, older flight, flight simulators are not they're not modern. They're not using multi-threading and stuff like that. So the processes for that are very different. So when you guys are working with third-party developers, what's your end goal with them? And how how are you working with them to have them understand your new structure? And how has it been communicating with kind of an old structure and bringing it into a new structure? Uh, all right, I'll start maybe. There's, there's lots to be said. Yeah. This. So the first thing is, look, so I used to be a game designer guy, right? So I can tell yeah. you as a game designer guy, the thing that you want is great tools because whatever is in your head or in your heart, good tools enable you to bring that to the to your audience faster, better. You can do other things, more things. So tools was a it was a focus pretty early on to have an SDK. And it's I don't think it's ever been done to have an SDK on launch day. Typically, yeah. those things were sort of like you launch and then you sort of grab up your tools and at some point or another you put them out and stuff. That that's not what we did. Actually, we we started to have serious serious SDK discussions right after we launched. And we it's actually the first thing I did. There's I, right after E3, literally, I, I flew home from LA, and the very next day is the start the day when I started with some other folks here at Microsoft first. Uh, Calling third parties, like the famous ones. There's lots of them, honestly. Like, and um, we basically said, "Hey, don't know if you watch our video. Um, we want to work with you, and we want to make sure that you are that this is your platform, and that you have what you need, and that you can do bring your creativity to the best of your abilities." Right. So let's just talk. And so we created some forums for third parties, and um, we had basically we let people into the SDK early on uh, to mm. give us feedback. And I think that's. That's been it's been really great. Um, you know, at some point you get under just like any development, you have to make trade offs, right? Like so we we, you know, at some point we probably focused more on the finishing the sim for the end consumer than finishing the SDK. Like so the SDK is not finished and it might, in some ways tools are never really truly yeah. finished. But we prioritize certain things like we, we talked to some uh, and they were very gracious. We talked to some, uh, what we call, the, we thought of some of the best, for example, aircraft and airport developers in the world. And we asked them, hey, let's work together. And they sent us samples of their best stuff. 
Mm. And um, we beat, we deconstructed some of how they did it and what they needed for it and got into this dialogue. And with airports, I think we're in a really good space now. And you can see that, right? There's tons of airports coming out. Like almost yeah. every day, somebody announces some airport. Um, it's not a big secret. We worked with uh, Fernando over at Coronado. Um, super nice guy. <laughs> and they have like 100 aircraft or something. So we tried to help them as much as we could. Seb personally did. Just mm -hmm. to see what problems they run into. Da, 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 da. And then we also worked with Aerosoft. And they just, I don't know if you saw that. Marty's just gave a... Uh, presentation the other day um, because they were a our retail partner in Europe and then also yeah super nice people quite frankly and super like they've been in this genre for like 30 years and they basically started the CRJ very early on uh, which is a pretty sophisticated plane and that was another sample that we work with and still still are working with them on to make sure it lights up and I know their target is to bring it out this year yeah and I think that's that's kind of the model, right? We try to find common ground, listen carefully, just like we did listen to the community. We listen to the creator community. And the only thing that has been a little bit, and Seb is much more knowledgeable, so I'll, I'll be quiet here in a second, <laughs> is there was a lot of hacking going on. You know, like the, the, the past wasn't super well supported, so people just made do. And they, right. they, did, they do some stuff, like, you know, the stories of just to get like the high check of a plane, they copy like this gigabytes worth of terrain data around everywhere. <laughs> like it's kind mm -hmm. of insane. Like when you really think about it, like mm, it's not what you want to be doing. So I think cleaning all that up because there was an interoperability problem with add-ons, you know, you bought it like, and it's fine for the core hobbyists because they are mm. used to it, right? They go to a website, they drag stuff into folders. They kind of understand that stuff doesn't really work with each other. It's all that well. And for yeah. them, it's okay. But when we go over and we find a, a wider audience, people who are not similar and they're not used to doing all this stuff and they're not, they don't build their own PCs and those types of things. You need to be a lot more buttoned up in a way. You need to make sure that things work together and it's protected. So that, that's why we took certain technical steps and said, please take it, take it from here. <laughs> right. Yeah, so um, I think, I think we, we um... There was a few principles that we that we based the development on. So first first rule was to say, okay, let's use the same. To, let's let's basically use the SDK ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we built uh, the sim with the same tools than the tools that we make available. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, whether it's whether it's airports or, or other tools, I don't know what how, the way we make aircraft and all that stuff. Um, and then um, when we opened up, I think um, early this year, uh, people had a look at the SDK, and then we get more feedback. And we said, okay, now let's let's develop all the tools because basically what happened is that people out there don't make their content necessarily the way we actually did it for the sim. And so, for example, for the airport, we delivered all the tools that we were using, but people were, were doing other stuff. And uh, and uh, so then we had a team. I think it's 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 a fairly big team. I, I think it's one of our biggest team in the in the. I think this and cockpits. It's it's so SDK was at some point over ten people. They added tools to the sim that uh, third party were requiring um, that we were not actually using for for example on airports. 
Um, we have tools, right? To, the, the, there's an airport video which shows how that works. Mm -hmm. But um, what we didn't have is a, is a system to actually replace the satellite photography that we uh, we were getting from Bing because we were saying, okay, we we have our satellite images from Bing. Uh, let's just use these, right? And and um, but airport uh, airport creators they may have their own photos, right? They want to put on the ground. So we actually had a we had a tool to actually replace. Um, a photo that that was existing, but it was super clunky. We didn't right. have something which was super industrialized where you could just say, okay, I want to replace this giant area and it has to be two clicks. So we had to develop a new tool that actually was able to stream and 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 basically use alternative ground data and so on, right? There is, and it's the same for... for the, the, the dam is the same. Uh, yeah, for, it's the same for planes. Basically. Yeah, so for planes, we so we do our planes a lot of so I mean if you look at the forums, they already found it. There's a lot of JavaScript. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of tools that we use, and um, and uh, when we got the first planes delivered, end of uh, I think it was somewhere end of 19, 2019, mm -hmm. we saw oh my god they're doing a lot of C native, and so we can't do C native because this is like the the, the opposite of interoper interoperability and security <laughs> and, and and you can you can put a virus in there it's super it's super <laughs> hacky so we we added a um, a C plus plus language to the sim and so that is working now and now we're working on all the tools like debuggers it's it's pretty complex right to get something like this to work we have to have a a full programming language suit now and so this is this just works for maybe a few weeks now and now we're focusing on optimizing getting the flow faster so that people and this is I mean it's also general optimization of the sim right we are one of the biggest focus right now is optimization um, and uh, and loading times, for example. So when people work on a, on an aircraft, if the loading time is five minutes, or if the loading time is one minute, well, it changes a lot of things, right? So that's the kind of stuff we're focusing now is making. Um, I think they they have all the tools now to work, but some of them are super slow, and inefficient. And so our, our focus now is make them as efficient as we can. Amazing. So. Uh, one thing I think it was Jorg that you mentioned earlier. You said you're the enabler of a hobby, and I completely agree with that, um, that you guys have really enabled a hobby by making a really accessible simulator. And something that has been echoing throughout this entire interview, and I would also say throughout uh, other interviews that I have watched you guys take part of, is that you guys really care about the community, and you really care about listening to other people. And you guys have done a tremendous job upholding that so far and really listening to what people have to say. Um, how do you keep track of all of that? It's humans. It's it's very simple. Like the sometimes like honestly, when we started, the, I remember the first time I called people, they were almost terrified mm -hmm. because it's Microsoft calling and, and Microsoft is like this, you know, this big company and it seems like this overwhelming thing. It's just us. Yeah. And all we really do is we're trying to do a good job. Right, we understand there's a group of people who love this, and it's literally the the main outside of living and working. It's their main pursuit, and that comes. You have to be super humble, and it's that, that's how I feel. And I know Seb. I mean, that's what, honestly is one of the reasons why I love Asobo so much. It really is because there is no arrogance in that studio at all, and that's so important. Like some of the there are some people that cre they're creators and they're they're in their own head, right? They they make stuff for themselves instead of for other people. We make stuff for the people like that 
is number one and two and three and four and five, right? That is our priority. We make stuff because people want it, not because we want it. It's not about us. And um, but but really having, I have like as I'm looking through the email, like about a third of my email again is third-party developers writing me stuff. Like sometimes they send me pictures, sometimes they send me problems, sometimes they send me ideas, and you know. And it's just conversations, and, and and as long as they feel like they have an honest partner on the other side, they 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 trust you, and yeah. we and trust is earned. And and I think I I will I know we will all do the best we possibly can to keep the trust because I think they've given us the trust. Yeah, absolutely. So we're get we're getting close to the one hour mark, and I know you two are very busy, so I want to make sure that I get you guys out on time so that you can. Continue to I actually really like. I really like this dialogue, like, and and honestly, like Seven I, it's been burning on us a little bit to this whole third party thing because we're really just trying to get it get it right, and it's yeah. a little. You actually asked the exact right question. I don't think we answered it quite quite fully. Yes, people are used to doing it a different way, specifically yeah. on some certain high end things, but I'm telling you, it wasn't it wasn't super optimized, and it wasn't safe, and it wasn't it doesn't scale. So we are trying to. You know, for the platform to work for the long term, for the platform to go everywhere, for those planes to work on every platform. Like the, there's so many reasons to do what we do. It's not because we're some crazy evil, evil people who want to shuffle something down people's throats. That's not yeah. what it's all. We're trying to make it work for the long term. And it's in the short term, it's change. Change is hard. You know, yeah. processes are established. People are used to something. But I, I remember the first time we sent our airport tool over to a couple of developers and they this was the first time they saw pbr yeah. stuff and they're like what like, <laughs> trust me it's good for you it's gonna look better it's what yeah. it's the modern it's where they are as a industry and where, where we are with rendering and what's possible now and it's once you embrace it you get great results and ultimately that's you know while it might be new all these people really want. I mean, I know so many people now that have been working on their one plane, their hobby for five years, and all they yeah. really—they're in love with the plane. And ultimately, they're going to be so proud once it looks sits there in all its glory, like full PBR. The, all the gauges actually work correctly and are not hacked together, and all this stuff. It, it's going to be great for them too. It's just yeah. a little bit of a getting used to it process. You know, I think it's really great that you're acknowledging there that some things you didn't get completely right. And but also the fact that you you want to work towards getting them right. And also you're willing to take the time to work with developers to to kind of show them what you what you guys do and how they can be better themselves, because, you know, it's it's one thing to give everybody the tools to do things, but it's it's another thing to show them what these tools are and why these tools will be better for for them and will make them even more successful and even better people as well. And yeah. I think that that's really important because you can kind of lose touch with that both in this industry and many other industries where you can you can give tools to other people but then you don't get the most amazing thing out of them because they're not using all the tools to their full potential and you guys are you guys have the keys to the tools as well. So being able to do that is really great. And I Especially, you know, I really like that you you butted in there as well because especially acknowledging every once in a while that you didn't get something right is is so important for progress too. Because if you if you sit there and you you say to yourself, you know, I got everything right, then you're never going to be able to look at the mistakes that you actually made and learn from them. You're never done. 
Like I would yeah. just say, the one thing I know, and that we, we, we have an SDK strike team, right? We meet Seb's in it, I'm in it, and quite a few of us are in it. And the one thing we know for a fact is, uh, I think our tools are actually pretty good now, as yeah. Seb said. But communication has has not been amazing, right? People are actually, it's the trade-off, right? Do you write the tools? Or do you write mm -hmm. documentation for the tools? It's a typical classic game engine development type thing. Yeah. And we're, we're talking a lot about now we're going to hire a technical writer dedicated just to basically annotate oh. the SDK and make it clear. And we talked about maybe do ask me anything with the with the tools people. So, you know, developers can call in and basically ask questions or we make video. And so we, we will increase our communication on the SDK because I think it's it's kind of an important thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And, and I think an important thing is also, as, as, as we said before, like feedback <clears throat> and continue. I mean, it's it's not something which is over, right? We spend uh, many years uh, listening to what uh, to reading forums and listening to what uh, what people wanted. And this is still continuing. I'm spending and, and many people in the team, we're spending hours. I'm spending hours a day watching videos, reading forums. I think we read everything. Every Everything that is said is read. Yeah, and, uh, so. and I have a I have a sort of a... Um, I have a mindset. To me, everybody is somehow right, and and mm -hmm. I can give you an example. Um, just a very very simple example. Um, if you look, I don't know. For example, the, the stall of the seventy one seventy two. Mm -hmm. Some people will say I should get a drop. Some people are gonna say I should not get a drop. So, for example, we have a CFI here who's, I think, three thousand hours CFI on a one seventy two. He says should not get a drop. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I, my mindset is everybody has to be somehow right because they they are not. Right, they're not bullshitting. Someone saw it happening like this, and so I spent a lot of time. I talked to a, an, um, a mechanic at the club and the president of the club, and and uh, I love it because one of the oldest instructor at my club said, "You know, everybody's right. Sometimes there's gonna be a drop. Sometimes there's not gonna be a drop. It's gonna it's gonna depend on the temperature, the plane, how the mass is. It's gonna depend on. They even told me that when they every I don't know." thousand hours or something, they put the plane totally apart, right? It, it looks like a piece of wood and, and like a, a bunch of stuff. And then they put it back together. Mm. And there's a tolerance on the elevator. I think on our plane, it's one degree up and down at each plane. You can look it up. There's a tolerance. When they put it back together, if the elevator uh, limits are within the tolerance, they just leave it. And it's going to be a little bit different every time. Mm. And, uh, and uh, so we say, OK, everybody's right. So how can we actually improve the sim? so that this reflects. And so this is one of the things which is on our backlog is to, to make it so that users can actually configure their plane so that maybe they have a little bit more elevator authority. Maybe they can now change the CG um, and so that they actually get exactly the behavior they want because everybody's right, but the plane is just different every time. And so we look at everything. Everybody's Every time someone has something to say, he doesn't think something is right, something doesn't work for him, we always listen. And we always try to understand why he's saying that. What is wrong? How can we improve it? Right. Yeah. That's that's. Dude, uh, was it both of you who kind of had an engineering background, or one of you? I don't. I, I was a designer, designer uh, guy, producer guy. Seb is the dev. But yeah, well, it's hilarious. Oftentimes, I talk to Seb on phone calls because we obviously have to think a lot. And he's literally yeah. watching videos, fixing bugs. From well, the videos while we're talking, <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, well, right there, that's that's like a very big engineering perspective there as well. So, in in part, you guys have kind of become engineers about making this is is understanding a a system and trying to make it better, and that's really important as well because not only are you making a simulator, but in 
in part, you're actually kind of aircraft engineers because you're making new aircraft and you're making a bunch of other things. And the team is that way. Like that, that's what I would say. That's a, so fun, it's funny. Like when we started, we said, oh, we need all the pilot handbooks for everything, <laughs> you know, and we yeah. got them like the, 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 and now it's the, based on what Seb just said earlier, right? With it going down to the screw. Now we want the maintenance manuals because yeah. that goes down all the way to the, to the screw. Yeah. So that's, we, we talked to all the manufacturers, right? Cause we have actually really good relationships. <laughs> like, Hey, can we get your maintenance manuals? Can we get <laughs> look at that. And, uh, and, and I think just this continued willingness to listen and to improve, I think is so, is so key. And, uh, as I said, like, and I, and I love what Seb said, like every plane is different. Like drive a car. Kind yeah. of different, they're not all the same, you know. They all they have all their quirks and personalities, and as they get older, they have you know their specific things. And we need to embrace that because ultimately, yeah, yeah. people they have a certain expectation, for example, how Cessna flies, but it's based on the expectations that they have either from other sims or from the real world. So it's like, okay, we, sh we should be able to enable that, right? right? So they can find the exact sweet spot that they feel right about. And that's, it's not up to us to define that. And it's like, here's the monolithic 172 and every every 172 shall fly exactly like this. Yeah. It doesn't need to be like this, right? So it's like, well, okay, let's write some tools and whatever and put it out there once it's ready. Yeah. So I, w I wanted to touch on two more things before we wrapped up. You know, you're talking about getting all this extra information. Is the end goal to have the default planes that are in the simulator be as true to life as possible? Uh, no. And, and, and so I, I think early on, so it was actually tricky and it's tricky mm -hmm. now. Like, so when you have an ecosystem of third party creators, their life livelihood is actually to make somebody's plans. Like there's mm -hmm. only that many Airbuses in the world. There's only that many Boeings. If mm -hmm. we end up making every Boeing plane perfect, like what they sometimes call study level, basically just every button does everything. The systems are exactly right. There is no more third party. What are we doing? We're putting these yeah. people out of business. So like to some degree, we try to get the system right enough and people can basically get a sense. And and honestly, so it was, the, it was a, actually a very clear strategic decision we had to make early on. Do we go vertically deep or wide? And given, right. that, we're the, given that we're the platform holder and people saying, hey, can we get helicopters? Can we get gliders? How about water planes? Da, 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 da. There were all this stuff. We can't go deep and wide. So we said we're going to go wide and we let the specialists, some people that have worked for like 20 years on certain planes, let them do their thing. They're good at it, you know, and okay. they can spend a team of seven for five years to make an update to the 737, please. And our yeah. job is to enable that instead of us hyper obsessing on every button. Then then we don't give other people what they want. Like, like I. Sergio from Helicemers writes me all the time, like, and I'm sure Seb, you get emails from him too. And like, so he's so passionate about helicopters, right? It's like, yeah. we want to give him helicopters. It's just going to take some time. But if we get too distracted on like, oh my God, there's 40 more buttons on the 787 and the, the, auto, the autopilot isn't perfectly just like Boeing's, which just seems like impossible to emulate anyway. Yeah. You, can get you can get lost, right? So we try to keep a certain headspace above above the depth, right? And, and don't let the verticals be be by specialists. Mm, that's a really great perspective from it because people people always talk about how they want planes immediately, but keeping in mind that also third-party developers are the people that help you guys live is really important. So totally. I, I really like that perspective. Um, so 
uh, as I said, I, I don't want to keep you guys too long uh, because I, I do want to respect your time. Um, so let's let's wrap it up with the good old stereotypical. What are you guys most excited for for the simulator in its future? And what are you the most excited for people to see and use? <laughs> mm, I don't know. Maybe you are going to want to say this. VR is pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> VR is, holy shit, it's amazing. It yeah. is amazing. I'm, I, cannot, I, mean, I cannot wait for people to try it and, and experience it. It's transformative for me. You know, we've we worked on HoloLens, we've worked on a bunch of VR stuff. Uh, this is a different one because it's the real, it's real. Everything feels just real. Like the plane feels real, the world feels real, how you act feels real. It's just, you know, I yeah. mean, my favorite, like it's probably, I shouldn't be saying that, but my favorite VR game is actually from our friend Johnny at Frontier. It's uh, it's um, it's Elite. I think Elite is great. I love VR. Elite Dangerous. It's, it's yeah. so good. Like, and we, we worked with Johnny for a long time. Like I worked with him for like 10 years too, but that's, um, but it's fiction. Right. Yes, it's the universe, yeah. but the, the spaceship, it's fiction. Yeah, I've never been in yeah. a spaceship. I can't, I don't have any muscle memory. Like what, what do I do in a spaceship? But <laughs> yeah. with, a, with a with a plane in VR, it is exactly like the real world. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, <laughs> anyways, yeah. So in the near throw, I think Seb is bang on, right? I think that's, that's going to be great. Amazing. I think, I think uh, another thing is also, I mean, I've seen that over the last years, right? I mean, we, we've been flying on the planet and the Bing created planet for, for three years now. A really great thing that I've witnessed over time is just the, the, the data gets keeps getting better. Yeah. And this is also amazing. Yeah. I'm geeking out because I work I get to work with the Bing Maps team a lot and we we're currently we're literally in touch with almost every government. And we're mm -hmm. talking about because the governments oftentimes have like great data for their countries. And um so we're trying to get better dam. We're trying to bet. Obviously, we get better aerials because we have contracts with like satellite providers and aerial aerial providers and all that. And uh, we send out our pictures. Like the here's the current thing we just shipped, and here's what we can update whenever we're ready yeah. to do a, that particular world update. And yeah. holy shit, it's it's in some cases is a generation ahead. Like it really is that amazing. Like we we have some. Oftentimes our height field is like five meters or 10 meters resolution. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some data coming in right now. It's 25 centimeters. Wow. It is crazy. That's it looks insane. crazy. So yeah, <laughs> just, and, and we're going to, the, the nice thing is we're going to be able to give this away for free. The world updates are free. So that makes me happy. Like that's every every two months or so, we're going to say, hey, here's another, another place on Earth that's going to look a lot better. And for me, that means and and so this whole I'm I'm super excited about these world updates, frankly, because I I think we can embrace the place, and get people to really go there. Right, right yeah. now the world's big, and you know, good lord, you know, I've been to so many countries now in the sim. Um, mm -hmm. But then when you point sort of a, a focus point on something, you say, hey, we've done a bunch of work here. We built some extra airports. We did some landing challenges and some bush trips and this and that. The other go 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 experience it. And just seeing that the community will jump in and go to places that they, I don't believe they've really explored because there was no particular reason to. And I I just think that's going to make aviation in those countries better. I think it's going to take people yeah. to appreciate other places on Earth better because there's so much Central Europe and North America and stuff that that so well traveled, people know it. But boy, there are some places where people don't go. 
because they there was no there was just no the data wasn't good and there was the the previous sims maybe didn't focus on it right and and but we will and it's going around the earth again and again and again as long as we get better data yes it's going to be just <laughs> great well guys thank you so much for sitting down with me today and talking this is really uh, you i wish that we had a little bit more time because what you just pointed there that just really excited me because i love to do alaska flying and alaska is kind of rare when it comes to photos and stuff so yeah. i'm really looking forward to you guys m releasing some more updates and being able to go some to some amazing places but as we i was saying this, we should do this again like we're on a yeah. journey here like we're, we're here for 10 years <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely 